Yep. Good morning, Pansy Chapel. In my head, I can imagine living rooms of people all across the nation, actually just the, in this community, a few, but anyway, uh, people saying good morning, and I appreciate that. And I, man, there are so many things I appreciate about Pansy Chapel, and I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about the people that even when I close my eyes, I can see them sitting here in their seats. And sometimes in the past, I've even complained or uh, thought it was funny where, when people often sit in the same seats Sunday after Sunday. But now when no one is here, it almost is a blessing because, not that you should revert back to that when you come, but anyway, it's almost a blessing because when I close my eyes, I can look through the sanctuary and I can see the different people and different families. And so that is actually a real blessing. Before we jump into the sermon, I just wanted to say something kind of in response, maybe a sentence to what I said at the beginning of last week's sermon in regards to COVID and its restrictions that we're facing here in Manitoba. And I will be fasting and praying again this week and would invite you to join me. My heart is going to be... Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be fasting and praying on two predominant themes, as it were. One is, my heart aches to come together again in the house of the Lord and sing and worship and encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. My heart aches for that. And it's kind of broken, and so I'm going to be praying in that regard. I'm also going to be praying and thanking the Lord that even during this time, there is fruit that is being produced in His kingdom. People that are walking closer to Jesus now than they were two months ago, and so on. And so that fills me with praise. And so I will be fasting and praying about both of those at the same time. And this morning, we're going to continue on in our series on the book of John. And before we do that, why don't you just join me in prayer? Jesus, this morning, I just want to thank you that we have this chance, again, to intentionally pause before your name, pause before you, Lord, and just intentionally invite you into this time. We're, we're blocking out some time, Lord, and it's a very, very tiny little sacrifice, but it's that, in that little area, Lord, we are intentionally doing that, or should be intentionally doing that, to let you come in and speak to us, and minister to us. And so we say, Lord Jesus, Ancient of Days, Father, Yahweh, Jehovah, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, we just invite you to come. We want to know you more. Would you please come and speak right to our minds and right into our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, we even invite you, like it says in Romans 8, verse 6, that we would not be given over to our sinful nature and be controlled in that way, but rather that you would come and control our minds in the way that would bring life and peace. Because that is what you do. And so we just invite you and say, come. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're starting this book, of, uh, starting this uh, series, or we did last week. And in part one, we noted that John quotes Jesus as saying many bold statements about himself, identifying as God and claiming the authority of God. And also very fascinating is John's reflective perspective, because when he thinks back about Jesus, he's thinking right back to what he knows from Genesis chapter 1. And he's using language that relates to Genesis 1, and he kind of is working his way through all of history to bring to this, 
the culmination of what we, who we know as Jesus Christ. And so today I just want to continue reading. Last week we went from John 1, 1 to 13, and today we're just going to read the next five verses. And this is how it goes. Essentially what I'm going to do today is preach, it's kind of like three sermons, but you know how when you click on a window on your computer, it, it pops open? Or if you click on an icon, it pops open a window, and then you're like, oh, there's some options there. And then you click on one of those, and it opens up a, a more detailed window. And if you click on one of those, it really expands into more detail. That's what we're doing this morning, three times. Here we go. Here's number one. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. If any of that resonated with you, you would already be saying, Amen, thank you Jesus. But if you're like me, sometimes you need to just pause and work through some of that a little slower. And so we're going to just jump into Sermon 2. We just read that in the NIV. Now we're going to read it in the NLT. Not that that matters too much, but sometimes it's good to read a scripture in a couple different translations. So here we go. We're going to start in verse 14. Again, same passage. Verse 14. So, the Word became... Who's the Word? It's Jesus. So the Word became human. Now we can even pause there and just reiterate what we already said last week, but this is an important truth to understand. In this most amazing event in all of history, Jesus became human. And yet, He never stopped being God. He was God and human at the same time in one person. And it says, and He made his home among us. That's a fascinating statement. And I wonder what John is all thinking when he writes that. You know how he started in the book of Genesis last week? We noticed that he's, it's almost like he had the scroll of Genesis beside him as he's writing this, this account. I wonder if he isn't very familiar with the whole Old Testament and he's thinking about that as he's talking about Jesus because now he says he, Jesus made his home among us. And when the Greek words that he's using there actually mean that, that he pitched his tent among us. Which might seem funny and maybe if you're into camping you can connect with that. But that, he is going much deeper than just camping. What what John is referring to, actually, is that just like in the Old Testament, the Father, the God of the Old Testament, whom Jesus is, actually pitched his tent with the Israelites. There was literally a tent, a tabernacle, that was pitched in among the people. That God could be there with His people. Later, He would also pitch His tent, as it were, and in the temple that was built among the people. And now, here is Jesus. The angel told Joseph to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so John, I think, is thinking about these things. In addition to that, probably also thinking about the Holy Spirit, whom he would, John would later actually spend quite a bit of time talking about. But again, pointing out that that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is given to us so that God can be with us. What does this say? This one sentence, what does this say about God? That is a power-packed sentence that really communicates that God is someone who wants to be with His people. 
That alone, if you just think about that and apply that to your life today, awesome! We'll keep on reading. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So when, when uh, in the NLT, it uses the, state, the, the phrase unfailing love and faithfulness. A lot of translations would use the words grace and truth. Either one of those reminds me of the Love and Truth series that we held in Pansy Chapel in fall of 2019. That Love and Truth series is all based on Jesus, exactly what John is referring to, exactly who John is referring to. And in that series of messages, we understood that the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the cornerstone. And He is so much the cornerstone, the foundation for everything that we believe as truth. Jesus becomes the foundation for identifying true and false religions. He becomes, His truth and love helps us navigate delicate topics like abortion and feminism and homosexuality. Because we see that in Jesus, not only is Jesus love, but He is also truth. And on one hand, He is the most radical definition of love that you could ever imagine, that God Himself would empty Himself to a place where He would become, He would take on the form of a human. The amount of humility and love that was shown through that incredible event is a love that we can only imagine and try to imagine. And at the same time, the amount of truth that can be at times offensive because of how pointed it is also comes through Jesus. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness, grace and truth. Verse 15, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And so just to clarify, that's John the Baptist being quoted by John, okay? And we'll get more into that next week. About, that's a fascinating statement. We'll talk more about that next week. In verse 16, John goes on to say, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Let me just ask you a question. This might be a pretty simple one. Who is the word His referring to? From His abundance. Okay, you guys just answer it. His refers to Jesus. How do you know that? How do you know that John's referring to Jesus? Because, I don't know if you caught this, but he has, in these 16 verses, in the beginning of John, he has never mentioned Jesus' name. He hasn't even mentioned it yet. He's only going to mention Jesus for the first time in verse 17. And yet he's been talking about him the whole time. This is what I imagine John is doing. Have you ever been to a conference, or maybe you've seen one on TV, or you've read about one on the news? It's a conference where people are gathered in a some kind of a large gathering room, and they all came to see the unveiling of this amazing new gadget. And everybody's been talking about it. It's all the hype. And in the beginning of the conference, they've got it covered up with a cloth like this, and everybody knows it's right there. They just can't see it yet. And somebody comes up to the podium, and they start talking about how amazing it's going to be, and, and this is uh, something new about it that you're going to just love. And are you guys ready for the great reveal? And there's a lot of talk about it. And then at some point, somebody puts their hands on this cloth, and they're about to give the great reveal. That's where John is at in this letter in John, or in this first chapter of John. He's building a crescendo. He's building this up. He's, he's trying to explain. You, you can't quite get it, but, but if you try, listen, this is the same Jesus who is back from Genesis. He is the Word. He is the Word that spoke in Genesis. He's the light that separates light from darkness. 
And he came into this dark world, and John is talking like this. He's talking about the prophecies about that talk about Jesus. And now John the Baptist was just sent as a witness to testify about the light. And how this amazing God gives us the right to become his kids. And he lives right among us. We've actually seen the glory of God. He's eternal in nature. And he puts his hands on a sheet and he says this in the next verse. He says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And he says his name. I even wonder, do you think John just paused there and maybe there was a tear stain on his papyrus as he wrote that? The precious name of Jesus. No one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen the full glory of God. But the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart and he has revealed God to us. And again, he uses that same phrase, unfailing love and faithfulness. Some translations would say grace and truth. It's the same phrase we just read in verse 14. And John has now taken the sheet off, if you will, and said, here's Jesus. And now that he's given the background of Jesus, he's described as best he can in a few words who Jesus is, he is now going to spend the rest of his book and go over teaching and teaching and story after story about what Jesus did and the things that he taught. And ultimately, John aches for you and I and for everybody who hears that story to accept this offer and become children of God. Isn't that good? (laughs) This really makes me want to, among a lot of other people that I'm looking forward to meet in heaven, makes me want to meet John. I would just love to hear from him. But as soon as I even begin to think a, a silly thought like that, I just am filled with, but what I really want is to see Jesus. And I think it's exactly what John was aching for as he wrote these things, and he's looking forward to that date, and he's just saying, guys, come with me. That's sermon number two. Now we're going to go on to sermon number three. (laughs) We're going to go back and reread one verse. And then we're going to do something fun. I want to go back and reread verse 16. Here it is. From His abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. It's obvious that John was reflecting on who Jesus is. And he spent the first 17, 18 verses and more reflecting and thinking about this. And he, there are way more blessings that Jesus did even in the time that he was here on earth than John will ever articulate. He even says it at the end of this book. If I was to write down everything that Jesus had, had said and done, there would not be room enough in the world for all of those books. And I'm wondering, what was John doing with all of those blessings? He wrote this in a sentence, but I wonder, did he have a written list of all the blessings he had received from Jesus? Or was he cycling them in his head? I'm not sure what he was doing there. But as John was reflecting and thinking, we have received blessing after blessing from Jesus. Grace upon grace is another way of saying the same thing. That grace, grace is something that you don't deserve, but you've been given it anyway. We have received that time and time again from Jesus. And so today, we're going to use a tool that we don't very often use, but we're going to use a special tool that is available only to you because you're watching on a screen. We're going to use the pause button. It's right on your screen. You ever watch one of those movies that, have you ever watched like a, It's kind of a full-length movie, but you realize 
the movie was obviously made for TV because every 12 minutes or so, there's an awkward little segment there, and you're like, oh, that's where they would have put the commercial. And then it carries on, and then 12 minutes later or whatever it is, comes to another one. This sermon is going to be exactly like that. If you just watch this from beginning to end, there's going to be some weird segments where you're like, oh, we probably should have paused there for a commercial break. But instead of a commercial break, it's going to be actually uh, take time to pause, reflect, and listen in prayer break. And so we're going to practice this the first time using the pause button. And I would like you to press pause right now and make sure that everybody watching, yourself and everybody with you, has at least one pen or pencil and two sheets of paper. Why don't you go ahead, press pause now, and then resume once everybody's got their paper and pen. Welcome back. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of the papers and make two columns on it. Your columns can look something like what you see on your screen there. And I'll just explain a little bit. We understand that in... We want to think about blessing after blessing that has come from Jesus. We also know that in James 1.16, James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. We know that essentially every blessing comes from God, the creator of the stars and the sun and everything else in the sky. And we know from John, actually, essentially what we're doing is recognizing that these come from Jesus. And so here's what I want us to do. Make two columns. One column of blessings in my life that I can see and touch. Another column for blessings that I can't see or touch, but I know that they're in my life. Let me give you some examples. These may not all apply to you, but some of them will, okay? So an example of blessings that I can see and touch would be something like food. And just so you know, as you're thinking about these blessings, if you have something, you can write down food and just carry on and never really think about it, but if you pause for a second longer, if you are someone who has a favorite food or food that you don't particularly like, you should probably realize that you are blessed among few on this planet. There's many people who would be thankful for any food. In addition to that, you can list off if you have a house, a home, if you have clothes, a car, or a vehicle, if you have family, if you have friends, if you have good neighbors, if you have toys, if you have books, tools, gadgets. Your Bible should be on list number one on the left side there. On the right-hand side, there should be things like, if you have these, maybe things like health. You can't really see or touch it, but... It's a blessing. Education or freedom or perhaps if you've had a good upbringing or you have a job or you have opportunities around you. Maybe it's the relationships. The Holy Spirit should make it onto this column. In fact, the church should make it onto either one of the columns. If you're thankful for the church building, that could be on column one. If you're thankful for the community and the fellowship and the body of believers, it should probably be on column two or wherever you think that fits. So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, I'm going to tell you to press the pause button, but here's what I want you to do. In your home, appoint somebody to lead in prayer first. And have that person pray something along, they just use your own words, but something along this line. Jesus, we recognize that you have given us blessing after blessing. Could you just bring to our minds right now blessings that I have in my life that I can see and touch, and maybe even some blessings that I can't see and touch, but I know there are gifts that came down from you. And then just... 
give yourself enough time for everybody in your family to finish writing those lists. And once everybody has finished those lists, then you can press play again. Go ahead and press pause now. Welcome back. These pauses are great because they allow me to have a drink of water in between. This is great. Here's what I want you to do now. On the second sheet of paper that you have, if you didn't already need it to make your list of the first two things, I want to make another list of blessings. And this list, we're going to describe this way. This is going to be a list of ways that I have already experienced the abundant life that Jesus promises. Let me just explain that a little bit. In John 10.10, Jesus says that he has come that we might have abundant life or the full life or have life to the full. And we know, based on Scripture, that we are going to receive the fullness of that life essentially in heaven. And it's going to be awesome. But we can already, as followers of Jesus, we already get a taste of what is yet to come. We've been given a deposit, a little tiny bit, of the inheritance that we're going to receive. And what have we already experienced? That is just something to think about. You can see it in the world, actually, if you just think about the the world in general. You can see that where there are those who are being stolen, killed, and destroyed, and if they continue down that path, have eternity in hell to look forward to, there's already destruction happening in their lives today. And you can also see it as you think about the Christian church following Jesus. You can see glimpses of the abundant life that they're going to receive, but they're already tasting it here already. I'll give you some examples of how Scripture would talk about some of the life that we could experience. For instance, and there's so many examples, I'm just going to give a few, okay? For instance, do you remember when David went to go fight Goliath? Do you remember what he told King Saul of why he was going to run bravely at this giant with a slingshot? He said, because God helped me with the lion, and God helped me with the bear. And if God did those things, I've already experienced that from God, and if He did those things, surely He's going to take care of this too. He, he thought back about how He's already experienced that abundant life. So here's some examples, and there's, there's no pressure here. You might only come up with one or maybe two examples. You might come up with 20. But I'm just going to throw out a whole bunch just to get your mind thinking about some of the ways that it's possible to already experience some of this abundant life. For instance, some Christians experience an incredible amount of joy. There is something in them. It doesn't mean they're always laughing. But somehow, they are filled with a genuine calm presence and an assurance that good things are happening and they have good things to anticipate and it actually helps them to see life through a completely different lens. They're actually filled with joy. They, you might even describe that as a, a delight for things of the kingdom. I often think of my dad and those of you who have been in Pansy Chapel for any length of time might remember this too. But if my dad, who would usually sit in the front row, not here, he would have been over there when we were in the, on the wooden benches in the small sanctuary. But he would sit towards the front, and if somebody would come up onto the stage and start testifying about how good Jesus was, or what kind of a difference in their life Jesus has made, my dad would sit there, and his head would just be a little bit off to the side like this, and he would just have a smile on his face, as though he was just basking in it. What is that? That is a delight, a joy 
for what makes Jesus happy. That is experiencing some of that abundant life. Other people experience hope like an anchor for their soul. When the whole world is getting tossed around like a surfboard on a big wave that's not attached to anything, Christians can have hope that's like an anchor. Keeps them secure right through a storm. Maybe some people have peace. They have this amazing assurance, and it's like a supernatural thing. It's not just something that they believe intellectually, but they actually have experienced that when people look at them and think you should be anxious and nervous, and you should be frustrated and panicking, and yet they have a supernatural sense of peace because they realize that God hasn't abandoned them and that He still loves and sees them. They might be struck down, but they're not destroyed. They've genuinely experienced that peace. It's not something that they even tried to put on. It's something that almost flowed out of them. Some other people, another example, some other Christians have heard God's voice. Am I talking about audible voices? Yeah, some Christians have actually heard an audible voice, whether that was an angel or God himself. I don't always know. I myself have not heard an audible voice. But some Christians have. Or you might have heard, uh, you might have heard from God in a way that you suddenly have a, or, or it comes like you have an understanding about Jesus that just makes you know Him better. Or you might have received encouragement from the Lord or a, a conviction of sin that you know was not from yourself. You might have experienced God's voice through a dream. This morning, somebody shared at our prayer time, they woke up with a song on their heart that they didn't even necessarily like. It wasn't on their playlist. But they woke up with this song in their heart that really communicated God's heart based on Scripture. Or maybe He's given you a burning word, like He gave Jeremiah, that Jeremiah said, man, if I don't share this, I'm going to explode. Maybe He's done that. Maybe Maybe it's as simple as this. Maybe if you've never even been a follower of Jesus, but last week you were intrigued and you said, I'd like to follow Jesus. And maybe you prayed that for the first time last week. Whatever it was that prompted you to say that prayer will have been the Holy Spirit nudging. And that's what we're talking about. That's just one way. But sometimes people have a love for people that they, they have a love for people that they wouldn't naturally love. It's a love beyond themselves. Sometimes Christians experience that an awareness that God is using them. And when you recognize how weak you are and God's using you anyways, that's amazing. That's exactly like Paul talked about in Scripture. He thought he was like the worst sinner ever. He was a Christian killer. And then when he recognized that God was using him anyway, it automatically turned to praising the Lord. Some, people, some Christians have experienced spiritual gifts or maybe even witnessed spiritual gifts. There's a story in Acts chapter 2 about 3,000 people encountering the gift of tongues. And when it was explained to them what was going on, 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus. That's just one version of that. But spiritual gifts are a way that we can experience this abundant life. God's faithfulness is another way. And not just something intellectual that we say, oh yeah, God's faithful. But actually experiencing that when you are afraid and trust God anyways and step forward in obedience and God in His awesomeness, provides for you, and you've done that time and time again, you recognize a pattern, you've actually experienced that He's faithful. Has God ever answered one of your prayers? Has He ever answered your prayer in a way that He even gave you more than you asked for? <laughs> I think that's what happened to the early church. They were praying that Peter would be released from jail. And then when he was, they were amazed. They were so amazed they didn't even believe it. <laughs> Have you ever experienced a supernatural event 
Sometimes people experience maybe the dark side of spiritual, supernatural events. But if they respond properly, it actually can bring them to a good place. If you think about in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, when they were struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit, great fear, seized the church, uh, great fear of the Lord seized the church, and people came back to the Lord. Or if you think about how the church, when, when Paul raised Eutychus from the dead, how it says the church was greatly comforted. They experienced comfort. Or when Peter, when he raised Tabitha from the dead, it says many people came to Jesus as a result because they saw, they experienced a little taste, a glimmer of that abundant life. If you've ever been involved in deliverance ministry, maybe you've experienced a taste of the abundant life. The disciples experienced some of that, and they had this temptation to rejoice that the demons were submitting to their name. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Maybe you just would describe it this way. You would say, you know what? I've, I've, there's been a time when I experienced what I would say was God's presence. Maybe like the church in Acts 4. They prayed, and then it says the place where they prayed was shaken and filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they received a boldness and proclaimed Jesus all the more confidently. Or maybe you've experienced His forgiveness, not just in an intellectual way, but you've actually felt it in such a strong way, it inspires you in return to forgive other people the same way. Or maybe you've experienced His comfort and where people have said, in an, anybody normal would be discouraged right now, but somehow you are comforted by the Lord. Maybe you've even experienced Jesus by a change in your desires. And you realize that something is changing in you, and you're starting to like and want the things that God wants, and the things of the world are growing a little bit dim. They're fading. Or maybe you received strength from the Lord like Paul said he had. Maybe you have had victory over sin or victory over a problem like David had over the lion and the bear and then Goliath. Here's what I'd like you to do. In a minute, I'm going to ask you again to press pause. But here's what I want you to do. Have somebody in your home pray and ask the Lord to remind you of any way, and it might be more than one, that you have already experienced or tasted a bit of the abundant life that we are promised in Jesus. Just ask Him in prayer to remind you of one of those ways or more. And once everybody is done making their list, then you can press play again. All right, go ahead and press pause now. Welcome back, everybody. Isn't this good? Does that not make you like a little bit excited about being a Christian? It's, it's good. But maybe as you're writing down some of these blessings, it came to your mind that there are certain things in your life that didn't really make the list. Because they wouldn't make a blessings list, if you know what I mean. The same thing happened to me. And so I'm going to challenge us. Why don't we make one more list on the back of your second paper or get a third paper if you need one. But we're going to call it a list of blessings that bring humility into my life. And you might be going, uh, say what? I'm talking about things that you might see as a weakness or as a hardship or as a difficulty, even an insult. And you might be, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Delant, those are the things 
that I ask God to remove from my life, I don't thank Him for those things. I know. That's exactly what Paul was doing too. He did three times in a row. He, asked, he said, Lord, take this thing away from me already. And then he said it again, take it away from me again. He kept praying. Three times he pleaded with the Lord until God showed him that actually God had allowed him to experience that and continue to experience that in order to keep him, what's the word, humble. If you've never read that before, you could study it. I put some scripture passage references on the bottom of the screen there. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 talks exactly about that. But when Paul realized that God had actually allowed him to experience that difficulty or that thorn in his life so that he would rely on God's power instead of his own, he started to delight in that. That seems really upside down. But he started to take pleasure in the fact that he had weakness or hardship or insults or difficulties. Because he then realized that, hey, then it's going to be God's power that's working in me, not my power working in me. And he realized there's a blessing if God allows something in your life that protects you, because the opposite of humility, we would say, is pride. Think about what Scripture says that God does to those who are proud. If He has allowed you to experience humility, it's actually a huge blessing. I know it sounds crazy. It's kind of upside down. But you're going to realize that the whole kingdom of Jesus is a little bit upside down from how we often think as humans. Let me explain a little bit. There is this one time that Jesus was talking to some people who had built their entire ministry on knocking other people down. They looked down on everybody else. And he told these people, he told them a story. We call it a parable. He told them the story. He said, there's, listen guys, there's two guys who went up to a temple to pray. One guy was a Pharisee, the other guy is a tax collector. So essentially, one guy is a he has a reputation for being a Bible teacher. And the other guy has a reputation for being a bad dude. The Bible teacher comes up to pray, puffs out his chest, because he was probably doing a few push-ups that morning, and he says to, he prays confidently about himself, and he starts listing off all of the things. That, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those other guys. And he lists off the people that he's thankful he's not like, calling them out by name. And then he says, I thank you that I'm not like them, and thank you that I do all these things. And then he lists off the rules that he's been following. Woo! The other guy, he wouldn't even come close to the temple. He didn't feel worthy. He just put his head down, he couldn't even barely get out of prayer. He just said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus looked to these people. And by the way, there's people today who build their lives on the same ministry. But Jesus looked to those people and he said, one of these guys went home in a good standing with the Lord. You know who it was? It was this guy over here the tax collector. And you know why he went home in good standing before the Lord? It was because of his humility. Another time, Jesus told his closest followers who had already given their lives to follow him that unless they changed and became like humble, obedient kids, not only would they not be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they actually, if they didn't change and become humble, like humble, obedient kids, they actually risked not getting to heaven at all. You can study those references for yourself. They're right on your screen. But consider this. Consider that God may have 
blessed you with something in your life that you might see as a thorn or a significant problem. In fact, everyone else who sees it in your life also sees it as a thorn. But just ask yourself, if you treated that situation with humility, would it actually help you to be humble? Just answer this question. Does, does Scripture ever indicate that there are blessings that come to those who are humble before God? Has He given you something that's actually a blessing of humility? Have you been fighting it? Or is it time to submit to God and then... Let him lift you up. Because Christians often forget that one little step about submitting. Christians, I, I, I know this because I am the same way. I have a tendency to say, God, take this thing. I'm giving it to you. Take it. Take it. But I miss the part where I submit to God and then let him take it. This is precisely what James 4 and 1 Peter 5 talk about. We are to humble ourselves before the Lord and then let Him lift us up. And that's important because God actually opposes the proud. And so in this list, we're going to make a list of blessings that bring humility into our lives. And again, I'll just give you two examples. In my, I have a list. <laughs> it's longer than I necessarily feel comfortable with. But I'll tell you two of the things that are on my list. So, for instance, I am not a good singer. And yet, I absolutely love praising and worshiping the Lord. Sometimes on my knees, sometimes with my hands in the air, sometimes with my eyes closed, sometimes it's joyful, sometimes it's music that you might not like to listen to, sometimes it's praise and worship with the whole body here in the church. But think about it. Every Sunday, and I don't preach every Sunday, but just... This is how it works for me. Every Sunday that I preach, guess what we just did in church before I come up? We sang. <laughs> and every time we do, it fills me with appreciation for those people in the body who have been given gifts of beautiful voices. And sometimes I even think, man, if I sounded like Cody Carnes, I might even get distracted from the task that God has given me to do. And I've actually thanked God for this weakness. <laughs> I'll give you another example. I am not someone, or I'll say it this way. I am a person who has to be very intentional with his words. And if I'm not very intentional, I tend to mumble. I tend my... <laughs> My, my voice gets quieter and it just kind of off in the corner there and no one is really sure what happened there. I'm not naturally somebody with a great radio voice or something. And it's a funny thing to remember if God has asked you to now preach a sermon, that's a funny thing to remember right in the middle of a sermon when you're testifying about how great God is. But it leads me to realize that if there is ever any little glimpse of fruit that comes through a ministry like that, it is obviously God at work. And I think, thank you, Jesus, that you give me weaknesses like that because sometimes my tongue feels thick and I almost can't even pronounce words properly. Thank you, Lord. So here's what I'd like you to do. In a second, I'm going to ask you to press pause again and start on this list. But I would again encourage you to have somebody in your home pray and just pray something that says along this line, Lord, could you just reveal to me if there is anything in my life that you have actually allowed me to endure in order to keep me humble? Just ask him. And then once you're done then you can press play and we'll resume a little bit more of this sermon.
You can go ahead and press pause now. Welcome back. It excites me to think I would love to be a fly on the wall for those people who have actually gone through these prayer exercises with the Lord. And I suspect that He has already begun doing a little bit of a work in your heart. And I even wonder if that's the same kind of work that was happening in John's heart when he wrote this passage of Scripture. And so, here's what I would encourage you to do. Just as a conclusion, if you're with a group of people, I would encourage you to pray out loud and thank Jesus the same way that John was. And just pray along this line and just thank Jesus and say, Jesus, it's from your abundance that we have all received one gracious blessing after another. And I would encourage you to pray that out loud with your family. And if you are watching this alone, and you've been doing each one of these exercises, but all by yourself, just you and the Lord, maybe you want to call up another friend who you know was also listening, or you could even challenge somebody who didn't and say, hey, why don't you listen to this sermon, chuckling under your breath, and then once you're done, I would like to share with you some of the things that God has blessed me with. And then you could compare notes. Why don't you guys go ahead... This is the end of the sermon. You guys go ahead and start praying like that in your homes.